And to me, the church is not the physical building. It's the people in it. And so we have amazing people. Uh, the fact that you come to this church tells me that you have a real heart to, to connect with God. You want to know what God has to say. And uh, we're not holding back the Bible. We're giving you the full whole counsel of God. So we want you to grow spiritually. That's important, right? Especially in a culture that's abandoning God and moving away from God. And many Christians are more concerned about themselves and what God can do for them rather than, you know, understand what God has done for them and what we need to do as servants of the Most High God. And that's when we get healthy, right? So I feel like we're, we're a good church, we're a healthy church. Uh, now are we a perfect church? Well, there's no perfect church. We all have room to grow, including the pastor. Amen? Amen. I was even teased a little this morning. That's okay. We all make mistakes, unfortunately. And we all sin. Isn't that awful? And it all happens to all of us. So just when you think you've arrived, take heed, lest you fall on your nose, right? So I'm going to have you stand this morning. We're going to read uh, a psalm together, Psalm 4. You know, I, I love reading the psalms. I'll tell you why I'm doing this to you. Because I know in a church family this size... There's all kinds of emotional expression today. Some of you are happy and some of you are sad. Some of you are struggling and frustrated and angry. And some of you are, could not be more thankful. And we're all over the map, right, because of the events in our lives. But I think the psalmist expressed this emotional angst in our soul. And let's take a look at what it says. Let's read it out loud, these eight verses in Psalm 4. Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God, Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. In your anger, do not sin. When you're on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down, sleep in peace, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Father, we thank you that you are a prayer answering God. We thank you that we can bring our fears, our anxieties, our sorrows, our pain, our you know, frustrations with life to you, and you are the one who cares about every detail of our life. And Father, I pray today as we explore your word and we begin to understand your ways which are higher than our ways, your thoughts which are greater than our thoughts, Lord, that we will change our way of seeing life. We will appreciate your way. We'll come into an agreement with what you say, Father. And I pray that the fruit and the result of this agreement, this change of mind, this repentance, this change of mind, will help us to live a life that will produce greater peace, greater joy, greater blessing than ever before, Father. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to actually look at one of the Ten Commandments today. And I want to take a look at some of the moral application. I want to, you know, I believe these commandments are in effect, but maybe not exactly in the rigid, rigidity of our understanding. Bill and Ed had a tiring job. They were employed to clear a field of trees. The contract called for them to be paid per tree they took down. And so Bill, he was absolutely eager. You know, he decided he was going to make a lot of money today. It was going to be a profitable day. He grunted, he sweat, he swung his axe relentlessly. Ed, on the other hand, seemed to be working about half as fast. He took a rest, sat off to the side for a few minutes, and he would do this every once in a while. Bill kept chopping away until every muscle and tendon in his body was screaming. At the end of the day, Bill was terribly sore, but Ed was smiling and telling jokes. Amazingly, Ed had cut more trees than Bill, which really frustrated Bill because he had worked so much harder. 
And he said to him, listen, Ed, I was watching you, and I noticed you were sitting down while I was working without a break. How in the world could you chop more trees than me? And Ed smiled said, well, while I was sitting, I was sharpening my axe. That's a very profound thought, folks. What he was basically saying was, I was able to do more by doing less. And you know, over the years, this thought has really captured my own mind because, you know, trying to find boundaries in our lives is really a challenge, you know, especially when, you know, we all have a tendency in this room to go to extremes. Human beings are extreme by nature. And, you know, we kind of celebrate people who are workaholics. We think, well, that's great. But, you know, that's not healthy. It's not healthy for their relationships, not healthy for their health. There's a lot of problems with being, you know, a workaholic. And and especially when expectations and demands increase in our world, how can we not only do what needs to be done, but actually begin to thrive in the process? In other words, how can I actually do more in my life while actually resting? It's an interesting thought, and I want to talk about that this morning because I think we live in a world that demands a lot. Isn't that true? And it just seems like people demand more and more and more, and we're sitting down here trying to figure out how can we actually do more than we're already doing. We already feel worn out and tired out and all the rest of it. So I'm convinced that the secret is actually found in sharpening our soul by living in the presence of God. In other words... The secret to cutting more trees is to work with a sharp instrument. And so the key in our lives is we need to sharpen our souls. That's what I'm really getting at this morning. And how do we go about doing that one thing? I think we become dull instruments in the hands of Almighty God because we don't come apart and rest a while. And I want to talk about what does that really mean to rest? Because I think we got a funny idea about it. I know Jesus said to his disciples, come apart and rest. And you know, once a person aptly said, if we don't come apart, we will come apart. And a lot of people have crashed and cratered and, you know, had nervous breakdowns and all kinds of stuff that happens because they don't come to this place of rest in their soul. You know, we're living with tension-filled lives. And even with all the recreational opportunities and the pleasurable pursuits in our culture, we're still living in a state of unrest. And I think we assume that because we go on vacation that we're actually getting a rest Many of us, how many have ever come back from a vacation, you were more tired after you got back than when you left? Anybody have that experience? You played too hard. You didn't really rest. You just went at it harder. You just went at it in a different sort of way. You know, Augustine, in his opening paragraph of his great autobiography, Confession, says, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. So I want to look at two texts today, one found in Deuteronomy, which is the second reading of the law. And actually, this text is found in these two locations, but there's some different nuances from the Deuteronomy text as the one we're going to look at this morning in the book of Exodus. And it has to do with this fourth command where God spoke to the children of Israel, and he said, I want you to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And I want to talk about that because a lot of times we don't understand how that applies to our lives in the 21st century. We think, well, that's just, you know, the Ten Commandments. You know, we're living under grace, Pastor. We don't have to keep the commands. And yet there's a sense that all of those Ten Commands have validity today. We're not allowed to kill people today. We're not allowed to commit adultery. They all have validity. There's a moral tone to these laws. And it's not that we're just trying to be rule keepers, but I believe God creates these boundaries in our lives for our benefit. And I want to talk about this fourth one because it's really misunderstood. And sometimes we get very rigid with it and legalistic on the one side. And on the other side, we, don't, we ignore it totally. And it's to our own demise. And so what, what is it really talking about? You know, commentator Peter Lange, when he was talking about application for this command, said this, the law of the Sabbath would not stand in the Decalogue, which means the ten laws, if it did not have a moral principle to establish it as much as the commandments not to kill, commit adultery, or to steal. The fourth commandment addresses the physical nature shall not be worn out. The physical nature of man shall not be dishonored and slowly murdered by restless occupation. Wow. In other words, we're not, doing, we're not honoring God by burning out. 
That's what he's basically saying. We're not honoring God by killing ourselves in the service of God. God's going, hey, that's not impressing me. We need to understand what is it that God wants us to understand and learn from this command. Hence, he says the specification, no kind of work or business, and that not only in reference to son and daughter and manservant and maidservant, but also in reference to the beasts themselves. In other words, he even tells these guys, don't work your animals on the seventh day. Everybody's got to have a break. You know, and not only that, he says, human nature needs rest. But also nature in general needs intervals of rest to keep it from being consumed with disquieted, disquietude. In other words, this restlessness. And some people, they just live with constant agitation and restlessness in their soul. He says, hence the commandment contains an ethical principle, a law designed to secure vigor of life. As the sixth commandment protects life itself, says do not kill. Do you know, Jesus, I've come to give you life and that more abundantly. Jesus, I've come to give you fullness of life. And yet some of us say, I don't feel like I'm living any differently than my neighbor. And I'm going to talk about how we can put this principle into effect, this, this idea of spiritual rest into our lives. You know, Jan Walgrave once commented that our present culture can constitutes a virtual conspiracy against the interior life, which is a life of rest. When we're talking about a life of rest, we're talking about ceasing from striving. This constant, you know, I've got to do better, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. And there's a lot of pressure on people to do that. So, I think there's these forces conspiring to drive us to despair, anxiety, unbelief, and ultimate destruction. We can see underneath there's this devilish conspiracy, but we unknowingly enable this to occur in our lives because we failed to heed the healthy boundaries that God has set up for us. Ronald Rollheiser points out, what are these earthly forces? They're simply the daily headaches and heartaches that afflict us. And he quotes Thomas Merton, who was also a, a, a Trappist monk. He, he said, uh, he was once asked, what is the major spiritual disease in the Western world? And I actually... Uh, was reading from another author, not even Thomas Merton, and they agree. You know what the, you know what the great problem in our world is? You're going to be shocked. You know what it is? Efficiency. Our Western culture is based on efficiency. How many have ever gone to another part of the world and you were really frustrated because it was so inefficient? Anybody have that experience? Come on now. Honestly, raise your hand. You ever travel? You're going, boy, this is so inefficient. And you know why we're frustrated? Because efficiency is not a value in other cultures. It's only a value in our culture. But we don't realize that while there's an upside to efficiency, there's also a downside to efficiency. And here's the downside to it. He said the major spiritual disease of the Western world is efficiency because from the government office down to the nurse, we have to keep the plant running. And afterwards, we've no energy left for anything else. We're just keeping things going. You know, he's right. We rise early, we groan as our alarm clocks startle us from sleep, we rush through breakfast, fight crowds and traffic to work, not so much in Red Deer, but we have a little bit of it here. But the bigger the city you live in, the worse it gets, and commute times get larger and larger in the bigger cities all the time. We settle into a task that's demanding and draining, we gulp down a quick lunch, we end the day tired, commute back home, ready another meal, tend to the needs of loved ones, share a meal with them, just as tired and restless as we are, the rest of the group. And then often enough, we still have another meeting or an event to go to that evening. The day simply takes us, consumes us, drains us, leaves us in its wake, sitting on the couch before a TV set, tired, dissipated, needing still to prepare some things for tomorrow and wanting a mindless distraction rather than the discipline of prayer which, by the way, generally brings about refreshment to our weary soul. So how do we get on this treadmill? Or better yet, how do we get off the treadmill? How many want to know how to get off? You know, do you ever feel like your days are all the same? It's like routine right to the end. You know, you're just going, wow, is there an end to this thing? And we're almost living, you know, like, when's my next vacation, right? Well, between all the demands of life, how do we find that rest that Jesus promised us? That's the question that's being set up here in Exodus chapter 20. In verse 8, he says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your animals, nor the aliens within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. In other words, the word holy is just the idea of he set it apart. The seventh day was to be set apart. The seventh day was to have a different purpose. That's what he's telling us. And so we have these six days where we have this routine in our lives, and then boom, we get to a seventh day, and it's a different day. It's been set apart. It's got a different purpose in it. It's a day that we cease. It's a day that we worship God. It's a day that we get renewed in our hearts and minds. It's a day we can reflect and meditate. It's a day we actually can rest. It's interesting that the reason given for keeping the Sabbath is a little different in the book of Deuteronomy. Here in Exodus, the reason that the Sabbath was set apart was that God, as the creator, ceased from his work and he blessed the seventh day as a day of rest. In Deuteronomy 5.12, it says a different reason. It says the Israelites were to keep that day in order to gain perspective of their lives. They were to remember something of the incredible significance, something that gave life real meaning. It says in verse 12, observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Verse 15, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So what were they to do? They were to remember that they were once slaves, but now they were free. You see, we have to keep this day set apart. We have to remind ourselves that we were once slaves. What do you mean slaves, pastor? I was never a slave. Oh, yes, we were. We were slaves to sin. We were a slave to the system. We were a slave to our world value system. We were a slave to that. We had bought into it. We were captured by it. But now we've been redeemed. We've been set free by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, you and I are not marching at the same drumbeat anymore. We have a new Lord in our lives. Do you know what was fascinating? In the Deuteronomy passage, he's basically reminding them that this day of rest was because God delivered them from their slavery. Now, can you imagine living in Egypt? What was it like being a slave? They never had a day of rest. Slaves do not have a day of rest. Isn't that true? Every single day, they grinded. Their lives were miserable. And God called Moses to go talk to Pharaoh. What did, what did Moses say to Pharaoh? Let my people go so that they might what? Worship me. And so the seventh day was actually a deliverance from slavery so that they could go and worship God. That this day was set apart in order to cease from their daily activity in order to worship. To worship together, you know. That's what the idea behind this day is all about. So how do we keep a day of rest with proper biblical understanding, which will renew our spiritual, moral, emotional, and physical health? Well, I want to touch a f- briefly on a few benefits. You know, John Dunham, who is a biblical scholar, says the Old Testament clearly used Sabbath as a term denoting a day of cessation for religious reasons from the normal daily routine. Sabbath is a day of stopping, a day designated to interrupt the normal activity of work. A definite and a fixed day. This is to be done weekly, you know. Can I just say something? I've noticed something over the years as a pastor with church attendance. You know what I notice? Some people come weekly, but that number diminishes. Now we, now we have the idea that, you know, some people think regular church attendance is coming once every two weeks. Some think it's once every three weeks. Some think it's once every month. Who's defining this? Who's defining this? We are. And I want to just go back and reset your little clocks a little bit. Who, defi- who defines it for us in the Bible? God does. And what does he decide is a good definition of when we should congregate together to worship? Weekly. Thank you very much. So, you know, you can do your thing and tell God, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it my way. And God goes, yeah, but you're not practicing it right. 
Because, see, God is trying to develop a rhythm to our lives. God is trying to help us set proper boundaries. Right? So I'm, I'm not trying to make this like, you know, the laws of the Medes and the Persians. But what I am trying to say is you can decide to live life according to your understanding or you can live life according to God's understanding. And I think God's smarter than us. That's just my opinion. I've been alive for a few years now and I, I've discovered over the years that when God says something, he's, he's got a reason for saying it. And he's a lot smarter than I am and so I've decided not to argue with him. And just follow along with what he's saying. And we get into his rhythm of life, which is a life of rest and worship. He goes on to say, it is to be remembered without exception, set apart from all the other days as a day for holy purposes and kept free of the customary labor of sustenance of the other six days precisely because it belongs to Yahweh. It belongs to God. This day doesn't belong to you. This isn't your day. You know? However, which day you celebrate it on. I know some would argue Saturday's the Sabbath. I go, sure, that's right, it is the Sabbath. But the early church began worshiping on the first day of the week. So we've made that our day of rest. Okay? I'm not going to get into that argument. My point is simply this, that once we've set that day, then we continue to worship God. It's his day, not ours. How many we act as if our lives are our lives? We make all these decisions. I'm just telling you, maybe the reason why you're so tired all the time is you're doing your thing. Maybe what we need to do is say, God, I want to discover true rest. I want to enter into a time of real physical, emotional, and spiritual revitalization and renewal in my life. Maybe what I need to do is get into your rhythm and not just do my own thing. It's just a thought. Well, let me give you what I think are some of the benefits that when we get into this actual elements. The first thing, the first benefit in practicing God's rest is that we learn to trust God. This actually means stopping to stop trusting ourselves, which is self-reliance, which I believe is one of the great sins that we have. We, we trust ourselves. Everything depends on us. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves is what I'm telling you. No, we learn to have self-control. How many think self-control is a pretty important commodity in our society? It's not always practice. I mean, how many here you said, Pastor, I practiced self-control last weekend when we had Thanksgiving? You know? Don't answer that question, somebody says. But I think it doesn't just apply to eating. Some of us have to learn self-control and how much we eat. You know, that's true. We have to learn self-control and how much we work. We have to learn self-control and how much time we play or how much time we give to certain hobbies. Sometimes our lives get so out of whack because we let things control us rather than us be in control of the things. Isn't that the truth? Sure it is. Moderation does not come easy for us. I believe as human beings in our sinful nature, we're extreme. By nature, that's an expression of sin. Jesus talked about a narrow path. He said there's a broad road that leads to destruction, then there's this narrow path. How many know if you're walking down a narrow path, you've got to pay attention? You could easily get straight off the path. You can, you know, fall off the path. I mean, if it's a narrow path and you're climbing a hill or you're on a mountain ledge, you better pay attention to the path or you're going to step and get hurt. Isn't that true? And Jesus talks about a narrow path. And, you know, for us in the in the prairies here, we understand about roads that have ditches. How many know that's true? And on usually in the prairies, you see two, two sides of the road, that's called a ditch. And how many know it's a lot better to drive on the road than to drive in the ditch? How many say that's true? I'd rather stay on the road. But a lot of us are living life like we're driving through the ditch, you know, because we've gone from one extreme to the next, you know. Some people don't want to work at all, and so they're lazy, and Paul says, if you don't work, you don't eat, right? That's idleness. And people who have too much time on their hands get into trouble. You know, idleness is the devil's play tool. <clears throat> That's one extreme. I'm not going to talk about that extreme. <clears throat> that is a problem. But you know what I noticed? There's other problems. And the other problem is that, you know, we become compulsive in our work. The text says we're here to labor for six days only. One reason why we, we can become work compulsive is that we live as if everything depends solely upon ourselves. And is that the truth, that it's all dependent on you? No. As a matter of fact, 
You know, sometimes we're like Bill. We're working our full heads off, and old Ed there sitting back there sharpening the old axe, working half as much and doing twice as much. How many go, I envy Ed? I'm telling you right now, I want you all to learn to be Ed's. You need to sharpen your soul. You need to learn how to rest. You need to learn how to trust God. And in the end, you're going to actually accomplish more than the poor fool that's out there seven days a week burning himself up. That's what I'm telling you this morning. One of the most liberating truths is when we discover that trust in God is greater than human energy. We need to learn that. And how do we demonstrate that? Learning to practice rest in order to actively respond to God in worship is one of the most powerful priorities that many have violated in their frenzied, frenzied lifestyle. I'm telling you, I'm seeing this more and more and more. And I'm trying to curb this and tell you, get into the right rhythm with God. Sharpen your axe. Sharpen your soul. Learn how to enter into rest with God. You know, if you know what people say to me, I don't have time to read my Bible, then you're too busy. Did you hear what I said? I don't have time to pray, Pastor. You're too busy. I will make a guarantee that if you spend time every day before God reading the scriptures and praying, you will accomplish more in your life than you would if you if you skip that. You need to sharpen your soul. You will get more done sharpening your soul than any other thing. You will learn to trust God, and you know what? God's grace will come. You know, James Houston wrote a powerful book about spirituality. He says this, The Desert Fathers, which was a protest movement against worldliness in the early church, spoke of busyness as moral laziness. Some of us in this room, we're lazy. But we're not lazy in a physical sort of way. We're, we've never been more energetic, but we're morally lazy. We don't discipline our lives spiritually. That's what I'm getting at. You know, busyness can also be an addictive drug. How many know that's true? You're running on a high all the time. You're just going all the time. And you know what? When you stop, you go, something's wrong. My body's still going. You know, I can't stop it. I don't know how to turn the button off. Busyness acts to repress our inner fears and personal anxieties. Do you know when we stay really busy, then we don't have to deal with things? We don't want to stop because if we do, we might start thinking, and that scares us. You know, God might be able to talk to us and point out a few things that need to change in our lives, but we don't want to do that. You know, we scramble to achieve an enviable image to display to others. He goes on to say, we become outward people obsessed with how we appear rather than inward people reflecting on the meaning of our lives. Do you know one of the powerful things that happens when we come and we listen to a sermon like this is, this is a moment of reflection. This is a moment of self-examination. This is a moment where, you know what, you don't know, have any idea what I'm going to preach on on a given Sunday, and all of a sudden you come into church, you're happy, and you leave, you go, boy, I don't feel as good this morning. I got nailed. <laughs> you know, I'm not happy with that. You know, my attitude when I'm sitting in the pew listening to a sermon, I'll just tell you when it's at, and somebody's nailing me, I'm just going, boy, I'm so glad, God, you're pointing out something in my life that needs to be corrected. I don't get mad at the person talking to me. I'm happy they're pointing this out. Good thing they're saying this. I need to hear this. This has got to change in my life. I've got to change my mind about this behavior. I've got to straighten out. And you know what happens when you come on a weekly basis? The changes only have to be small, incremental, little modifications. But when you stop coming on a regular basis and you show back up, it's almost like you've got to make a major overhaul. It's like you've neglected taking care of your vehicle, and after a while, you know, instead of just tune-ups, it's like major repair work. Isn't that the truth? And that's what happens to us spiritually. Same thing. It occurs in our lives. Wow. So what does the scripture mean by rest? Well, we need to know when to work and when to worship. The text says that we're to keep the day holy, which means it's set apart for a sacred purpose. Now, I think a lot of people say, oh, good, I got a time off. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do anything today, but just watch the, you know, the TV set or something. I don't know. Is that the best use of a, a day of rest? You know, we got other time. You know, when do we take time to spend time with God? And if you only come on Sunday morning and this is all you do for your spiritual life, it's not enough, folks. If you really want to change, you got to practice this on a daily basis, spending time with God. 
but at least once a week I need to come and, and be renewed in my life. You know, D.L. Moody reminds us it's not idleness when he said this. No man, play, no man enjoys idleness for any length of time. When he goes on a vacation, one does not lie around doing nothing all the time. That's true. A healthy mind must find something to do. The Sabbath rest does not mean inactivity, but to engage in religious or spiritual exercises. You know, Isaiah reminds us in chapter 40, verse 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall what? They'll renew their strength. They'll be renewed. They'll be refreshed. How many have ever come? I've come to prayer meetings tired and I've left and energized. I go, how did that happen? I was physically weary, but when I got done, I was spiritually invigorated. Even my body picked up. I felt more energy. You know, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Wow, what is the promise to those who keep the day of rest to make it holy? Listen to what Isaiah says. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know, isn't it interesting? Notice the, re- the conditions he's laying out. You know, he says, if you make this a day of worship and rest, he says, then you can call it a day of delight. If you honor it by not doing your thing, but rather doing God's thing, and not just saying empty words, he says, this is what's going to happen. You're going to find joy in the Lord. And I, you know, how many know weariness diminishes joy? It does. You know, in spiritual renewal, we find that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy empowers our lives. You know, when you're happy, you can do a lot. And how many know when you're down and discouraged and weary and depressed, you do a lot less? You just sit around, right? Come on. When you don't have that energy. But I'm I'm telling you right now, this is the way to renew your soul. Notice the second promise. If we honor God, it says... We can be sure he'll honor our lives. This verse was reminding the Israelite believer that all of the covenant blessings would be theirs. How often do we forfeit God's blessings? How often we don't experience all that God wants for us because we don't avail ourselves to God. We don't don't give ourselves to God. You know, we all have as much of God as we want. How do you know that? Because... Basically, it depends on how much you give of yourself. If you give nothing to God, you're going to have very little of God in your life. And if you give yourself fully to God, you're going to have a, a more rich and satisfying experience with God. That's the way it works. You know, trust grows as we practice it. You know, isn't that true? See, what I'm telling you here today is don't try more, trust more. How many are hearing the distinct difference? It's not do more. Sometimes you can do a lot less. I'm saying learn to wait. Learn to be patient. Learn to spend time with God. Learn to hear his voice. Learn to reflect. Learn to meditate. Do you know when God tells you to do something in his time and you go do it, things work. He puts all of the right resources at the right time. He moves the right people in the right spot. You know, so often we're frustrated because things aren't working out the way we want them to. And that's because we're out of step with God. You've got to learn how to wait on God. And let God bring these things about. When we follow God's way, we're also declaring our confidence in God's provision for us and our independence, not only from sin, but also from this world system. You know, I'm out of step with the world. I am politically incorrect. If you're biblically correct, you will be politically incorrect. You will not fit in, which is okay. I don't want to fit in. You know, I think the world is messed up. You know, and I don't think their solutions are solving anything. I think they're just exasperating the problem. I think God is the ultimate solution for our world's woes. I'm convinced of it. You know, when we rest, we're declaring that God is our source and he's our provider. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Yes. Francis Felanon, a 17th century writer, said, Don't worry about the future. Worry quenches the work of grace within you. The future belongs to God. Wow, he is in charge of all things. Stop second-guessing him. How's that? 
Is God in charge or not? Yes, he is. Wow, this is so good stuff, Pastor. Keep preaching, and I know I like it. It's a good sermon. It's doing something for me. I'm sitting in the pew, too, listening to him, going, come on, Pastor, preach it. Tell us the way it's going. You know, I want to do more by doing less. How many like that idea? I like it. You know, in Deuteronomy 15, 515, it dealt with the keeping of the Sabbath as a testimony of God's choice of Israel and their deliverance from slavery. In Egypt, there was no days of interruption, of unending round of forced labor. I've already brought this idea. I'm going to move on. Okay, let me go to the second point. We learn contentment. When is enough enough? How many think that's a good question? When is enough enough? The command keeps us from addressing the evil compulsions within us. You know, if you ask a rich person, how much more do you need? And they'll always tell you, just a little bit more. Because they're not satisfied. You see, the great secret of life is not possessing things, because usually they possess us, right? You know, Colossians says this, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, I wrote down in the little quiz here, who's responsible to do this? <laughs> put to death, it says. Well, I think that's a command to us to do this. We're responsible, right? What are some of the elements of our earthly sinful nature? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. We're to put those things to death by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do this by yourself, folks. We cannot expect non-believers to do this. They can't. But we should expect ourselves to do this. We have the power to do it, right? You know, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Wow, that's strong language. Oh, by the way, you know, God never gets upset about anything. I'm going to tell you right now, God hates sin. And he's going to deal with it. And he's going to deal with it in my life. He's going to deal with it in your life. He's going to deal with it in our province. He's going to deal with it in our country. Don't kid yourself. God will deal with sin. See, resting and ceasing from our labors and engaging God's empowerment allows us to be content. Resting from wanting. How many think resting from wanting is a good thing? How many think, you know, if I don't want anything, I can start relaxing? Listen to what Paul writes. I love this. This is one of my favorite, my favorite book is Philippians, by the way, if you don't know that. This is my favorite chapter. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I've learned the secret of contentment, Paul writes. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. Paul says, no matter what condition I'm in, I am content. I've learned the secret. Do you know what the secret is? Can I tell you what the secret is? It's verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, which gives me strength. Paul says, if I lack, God will give me the strength to handle the situation. If I'm in plenty, God will give me the strength to handle the plenty. I think one of the greatest lies of the enemy is that we'll be content when our circumstances and situations improve. Can I tell you something? What happens if they never improve? Oh, pastor, don't even say that. You see, if you are going to allow circumstances to define your life, you're going to be like a yo-yo. You know what a yo-yo is? I should have brought one today. It's a little toy, child toy. You put a string on your finger, you drop it down, the rolls down, hit your finger, comes back up. You know, a lot of us, that's how we live our lives. We're up and we're down and we're up and we're down. How many go, I get, the, I get it, Pastor. I'm up and down, I'm up and down, I'm up and down. How many want to stop being up and down? How many would like to just stay up? Anybody, how many here want to just stay up? I've learned the secret to be content in any and every situation. And what's the secret? I can do all things through Christ. Who gives me strength. We quote that for a lot of things, but that's the context. Wow. You know, let me move on. I gotta go to my next point. This is all first Timothy chapter six. You can read it about money and uh, the deceptiveness of it and, and learning to be content. You know, he, he just keeps talking about it. He says, command those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Isn't that true? Isn't money uncertain? 
Here today, gone tomorrow, you know. Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Oh, I love this. Command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, be generous, be willing to share. In this way, you're going to lay up treasure for yourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that you may be able to take hold of the life that is truly life. But let me move on to the last benefit. And that is we learn to appreciate God's grace. You know, all of life is a grace. Grace means we don't deserve it. You don't even deserve the life you have. And, you know, we play that little clip once in a while. If the world was a village of 100 people. Remember that? How many have been here and you saw that? How many think, you know, if the world was a village and I was, and, and, the, and I was represented by one of the 100 people, I'd be doing pretty good. I have a car. I have all these things. You know, we got it pretty good here, guys. Come on now. But we don't think that way. <laughs> well, I'm stressed out. I've got this to do and that to do. You know, I think a day of rest gives us time to think, to reflect, to reprioritize our lives because it's so easy to get into a rat race. Isn't that true? Come on now. The suggestion in the text is that if we'll stop, it gives others the same opportunities. You know, if I run a business and I decide, hey, I'm going to stop for a day of rest, I'm actually giving the rest of my employees the day of rest. You know, you're going to actually do more by giving people a chance to recover and catch their breath. You know, and money isn't everything. You know, can it buy happiness? No. A lot of people that have a lot of money are not happy. I can tell you that. It takes time to relate to those who would otherwise be neglected, forgotten, and overlooked. You know, we got to think. Do you have do you have time to think, or you just do do do? You know, I was reading something. It's kind of cute, you know. You know, I'll, I'll just give it to you this way. There's a kind of a classic song, you know, kind of a pop song. It goes, doobie, doobie, doo. You ever heard that? Kind of a Frank Sinatra tune, doobie, doobie, doo. You know, but think about the words, doobie, doobie. You know what God says? No, that's backwards. Be, do, be, do. Some of you are getting it. In other words, it's more important about what you are than what you do. And actually, what you do comes from what you are. And so you better make sure that you are what you need to be before you start doing. Is this making sense to you? How many are saying, I'm starting to get it. God is interested in me becoming the right kind of person, so then I'll start doing the right kind of things. And a lot of things I'm doing, I probably shouldn't even be doing. It's just busyness. And it's wearing you down. And there's some things that we should be doing because out of being, we're going to start doing the right things. But you know, here's the other extreme. We get into legalism. Oh, that's bad. Listen to what Jesus says. Then he said to them, because I think this day delivers us from our self-centeredness, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, it's not about keeping an institution going. God created the the rest and worship for our sake. That's pretty neat. And it's also to remind ourselves what he's done for us, how he delivered us from the slavery of sin and the slavery of compulsion and the slavery of greed and want and never enough, enough, enough. God says, no, you can rest, and you can learn contentment, and you can begin to enjoy what you actually have. And you know, a lot of the most beautiful things in life are free. How many know sunset, sunrise, those are free. You know, isn't it great that our city has over 100 kilometers of walking trails? I don't need to own all that land. I can just enjoy it as a citizen or as a as a. As a person in our area. They can just walk these trails and enjoy. Isn't that beautiful? We don't have to pay anything. It's free. I've discovered that most of the great things in life are free. Wow. How do we really serve God? We celebrate the day of rest by serving God, by doing good to those who have a need. Listen to Matthew. It says, how much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Remember, Jesus was accused because he healed a man on the Sabbath day. He said, hey, wouldn't you guys rescue your sheep from a, from a, a well? He goes, come on, you guys. You're just a bunch of hypocrites. 
That's what he was telling them. He says, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? You see, we can get so hung up on, oh, we can't do anything. And you know, Christians in the 50s were so extreme with this idea that nobody did anything. That's the other extreme. But now, now we're so free, Pastor, we just do our thing. You know, who worries about what God thinks? Well, good. That's what we want to hear. We're all, we should all be concerned about it. I think most of you are. I think I'm reminding some of you, I'm hopefully stirring up some stuff inside of you, and the people that really need to hear this sermon, they're not even here today. <laughs> but they're on podcast. <laughs> I'm going to get you. <laughs> because, you know, people go, I don't need to go to church. I can just watch it on TV and hear it on a podcast. Yeah, yeah, you might get information, but you don't have community. You don't have relationship. You don't worship together. There's a dynamic in a service. You can't, I mean, I mean if you're sick and in bed, I can appreciate, you know, I want to hear that sermon. I missed it. But, you know, when you have the opportunity to be in fellowship and be in the presence of God and to worship with other believers, there's nothing greater than that. That was for all the podcast people. We keep the Sabbath by liberating others from physical or spiritual bondage. When Jesus saw, he called her forward and said, Woman, you're set free from your infirmity. Isn't it great we can come to church and we can pray for the sick? You know, Jesus closed with this thought, Matthew 12, 7. He said, If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of rest. That's why Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and you're going to find rest. We're going to stand. How many here? We'll stand. How many here you just say, Pastor, I need rest. I need rest for my weary soul. Any weary souls here today? Any weary souls? Just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. I need rest. How many go, you know, I... How many actually learned something today? Raise your hand. How many here, you just said, you know, I think I'm changing my attitude about worship and the necessity and for worship. I mean, just, it's changed your thinking, you know. You have no idea when you come on a Sunday what God's going to do to you. It's the truth. You have no idea. You know, I wasn't always a pastor. I was a brand new Christian I, used, I was so excited about coming to church on Sundays, I never wanted to miss a Sunday. I just couldn't figure out how the pastor knew how I was doing every week. <laughs> I just how does he know where I'm at? And I've discovered it wasn't him, it was the Spirit of God. And when he started preaching the Word, it was almost like God was zooming in and talking to me. And, uh, you know... It's really interesting. You can always tell where people are at. You know, the Spirit of God can really get to you. And I was a brand new Christian. And it just seemed like every week God was in my grill. Every single week. I was just going, what is this, you know? And I'd, I'd break down and cry. And, and uh, there was so much brokenness in my life. God had so much healing to do. Every week he was talking to me and healing my brokenness in my soul. Wow, that was so powerful, you know? And then I... You know, as, I, as I'm maturing as a believer, then I was learning so many things, how to live a healthy life, a more balanced life, and the wisdom from these people that had walked with God for years. I was learning to understand Scripture. I was gaining so much insight. And, you know, later on after that, when you're gaining all that insight, I'd come to church and I'd hear these messages and I would go, oh, yeah, I remember this, but I've been neglecting it. And I needed to be reminded. And then later on, you know, sometimes I'd go to church and actually I probably knew more than the pastor now that was preaching the sermon. And yet the Spirit of God would say things and I would learn and the Spirit of God, you know, you can learn from other people, folks. And you can learn, you know, my grandkids can straighten me out. <laughs> How many here, you had your kids straighten you out a time or two? Yeah. You ever have God talk to you through an unbeliever? I've had God talk to, rebuked me through an unbeliever. I've, had, I've been rebuked by kids. They didn't even know they were rebuking me. Anybody have that experience? There's a few honest people. It happens, doesn't it? 
Of course it does. How many here you say, you know, Pastor, today God's speaking to me about learning to sharpen my soul. That's you today. Just raise your hand. You're learning. I got to sharpen my soul. I'm tired of working with a dull soul. I'm tired of being weary, Pastor. I want to spend a, a, a new, I want to get into a new rhythm with God. Anybody want a new rhythm with God? Yeah, six days, but on that seventh day, that day we take apart, that day of rest, that day of worship, you know, God, do a work inside of me. I'm going to pray for you today that you will leave this place renewed in your soul, strengthened in your heart, encouraged, challenged, right? I got something from you, Lord, today. I'm being reminded of my great salvation. I'm not in step with this world because I've been delivered from the slavery of sin. And I walk a different drumbeat. I'm out of step with my world. Thank God. I'm out of step with my world. But I'm in step with you, Lord. I'm a pilgrim passing through. This is not my home. I'm on my way home to you, Lord. And this week we had two beautiful saints and Jesus and when I was there close you know especially Steve because I knew him personally and I was with him in the last days of his life talking to him he goes I'll soon be home and I'm excited I'm going to be reunited with my beautiful wife there'll be no more sickness no more pain I'm excited about seeing Jesus pastor I'm excited for you Steve this Sunday while we were worshiping here he was worshiping there hallelujah hallelujah Lord we just thank you this morning that you're doing a work in our lives you're reminding us your word says to remember the Lord to keep this day as a day set apart to worship you Lord to honor your name and to begin to reflect and meditate and all the great benefits you've done for us because during the week we get beat up, Lord. We get beat up and criticized and there's all the enemy's assaults against our soul and then we come and your, your presence is here and it begins to renew my spirit. It, renew, it restores my soul and I hear your voice speaking into my life. Oh God, what an awesome privilege this is. Lord, help me to honor weekly one day where I cease from all of my goals and plans and activities and I set it apart for you. I find rest in your presence. Oh God, I I reprioritize my life. I reflect on your goodness and your grace in my life. I begin to appreciate all the good things you've done for me, health and, and wisdom and understanding that you've given me, oh God. Lord, I get to worship you and my brothers and my sisters. Oh, God, what a privilege that really is. It's a little foretaste of what I'm going to experience for all of eternity. We can have fellowship with each other and encourage one another. Stand beside each other. Even as we walk through a veil of tears, we thank you for that, Father. Lord, I pray that you'll be with my brothers and my sisters. Some are weary, some are troubled, some are discouraged, some are filled with anxiety. I pray today, Lord, that you would fill them to overflowing, that you would fill them with joy and peace and hope, and you would delight their souls because they have met with you today, and they have changed the way they're seeing their trouble. Their attitude is changing, and they're rising up, and their spirit is filled with gratitude because of your goodness in their lives. We thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.